Hello, this is Tash Corbin, and this is the Primal Alternative Podcast. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast, featuring actionable tips from real people with real stories about real food. This show is presented by Primal Health Coach Helen Marshall, who empowers other paleo-loving, thermomix-owning mums to start a sustainable, faff-free business of their own with the Primalista License. The Primalista License brings primal alternatives to the foods we love to our communities, making primal living more doable with less falling off the wagon. The Primalista License is available at www.primalalternative.com. And now, introducing your host, Helen Marshall. Episode 85. Woohoo! Thanks for being here. Today I'm joined by Tash Corbin. She's a business coach and mentor for women who are changing the world. She facilitates a 33,000 strong Facebook community called Heart Centered, Soul Driven Entrepreneurs. And she's also the creator of the Heart Centered Business Conference. She's a speaker, author, and rescuer of one very lucky street dog from Bali. (laughs) Tash is somebody that I've been following since I first started my business, Primal Alternative, and my business bestie, Mitley, put me onto Tash and the Heart Centered Group, and it really was kind of like a, a training ground for me to be able to practice my message as a health coach to an audience of other women who were also doing businesses that really aligned with their values. And it was a safe space to be able to ask questions, get support. And in that group, I found um, my solicitor, Michelle Whitehead, who's put together our amazing Primalista license. I also worked with other people. Uh, Gail O'Keefe was my amazing tapping instructor who helped me work through some of the emotions that were blocking me and stopping me from moving forward with my business. And I've just made a whole heap of other connections and collaborations. And quite often when I um, you know, find somebody from this wellness space to be on the podcast or to collaborate with in some way or another, they're also in Tasha's group. So it really is a really cool place if you want to ditch the patriarchal corporate world and you want to do something a bit different on your own terms, then it is a cool place to hang out. Even if you just sit in the wings and watch what everyone else is doing, you'll really get to see some cool ways to get out there and do your thing, you know, like, oh, and this episode is so good. Seriously, I could have asked Tash like three hours worth of questions, but she's a busy woman. And I was really conscious of her time and not going over on time. But during the episode today, we're going to talk about the specific challenges of marketing as a health and wellness practitioner. And we're going to look at things like tangible outcomes, niching, and of course, good old money and how most people start off a business the wrong way around. And you'll find out why that is and what that is during the episode. Um, we're also going to find out what Tash had for breakfast. Of course, I didn't get a chance to ask her about alcohol, coffee and chocolate, but maybe another time. And we're going to talk about how to get your business off the ground quickly. And also about her amazing free training called 
fast tracky startup, which I've watched. It's amazing. I'm always implementing. Tasha's got heaps of actionable tips that you can just take away and get on with it. And most of all, she just makes you feel like you're normal and it's okay for you to go out and have your own business. And during this episode, she's going to give you a beautiful permission slip to go out there and do that. How cool is that? Now, my business has blossomed um, using some of Tasha's techniques. And um, as I say, she's a true inspiration to me. Um, I actually got a little bit starstruck and nervous during this interview. (laughs) That's all right. She says she's only human, which is true. But still, I was like, oh my God, Tasha's booked in for an interview. Oh my God. But no, it's, it's so, so cool. And I'm very excited to get some of our cookies to her. One thing I was really um, happy about, I guess, when during the interview, I was thinking about our primalistas with a primal alternative license, where a lot of the tangible outcomes, the dollars, the niching, um, and the proof of concept and the collateral, the assets, all of that stuff's already done, um, which I just think, what a relief, you know, coming into a business, if you want to start your own business, it's, it can be a lot more easy to get on board with an established brand like Primal Alternative and also to have that community of other women who are all heart-centered and soul-driven, all here uh, for a, a bigger purpose and their greater value um, together, doing it together. And just having that, that community can really give you the courage to do something you may have otherwise felt overwhelmed to do. So I got really excited when Tash was talking about, you know, the new way of working because I am so on that bandwagon too of creating a new way for women to work, a way that uh, is in alignment with their values, working in a way that's aligned with their values as well, not doing anything that feels yucky or icky on, on their terms, from their house, running their own business, defining it on what success looks like for them, which isn't always, you know, a a nine to five week. Sometimes women want to do something a couple of days a week and do other things for the rest of the week. Maybe they want to tie in a little bit of baking with a little bit of um, health coaching or conscious parenting or being a yoga teacher or a massage therapist or anything else. You know, women have got a lot of interests. And I think sometimes we're told to just focus on one thing, just focus on one thing. But why should we, if we've got lots of interests, maybe one day you could be learning to play a musical instrument. The next day you're baking, the next day you're at Pilates with your bestie, having a coffee, going for a massage. It really is the time, especially now after coronavirus to redefine, look, is this how I want my life to be? Is it in alignment with my core values? Is it, does it feel does it feel right? I think is the, is the key. So if you would love to find out more about becoming a primal alternative producer, that's a producer of the primal alternative grain-free food range. In our range, we've got breads, we've got cookies, pizza bases, and pastries, as well as a whole heap of other things, but those are the core products. Um, we are in collaboration with Chef Pete Evans. We make a non-nut hemp bread and wraps with him. Very honored to collaborate with such an amazing human who is asking all the right questions and um, really opening up people's consciousness. Uh, Really grateful for the work he's doing very fearlessly uh, in the world. And also with Joe Witten, less controversial, 
Joel Witten from Quirky Cooking, who is the Thermomix goddess and an all-round good egg and very good friend of mine, um, who's all about nourishing our families with real food. And we produce the Quirky Cooking grain-free pastry and also the macadamia and currant shortbread. So I was just um, writing down, I handwrite a list of primal listers because I just love to do it. And we're nearing 160 primal alternative licensees since I launched the day after Christmas Day in 2016. So just over three and a half years we've been operating. We've got producers all across Australia, into Tasmania, New Zealand, the UK and the US. New Zealand, New Zealand Kiwi girls and boys, come on, I'm talking to you. We need more producers in New Zealand and the UK. I'm coming at you. I'm coming at you. I'm going to start running some adverts to the UK because I'm ready for more producers in the UK as well. So if you think, oh my goodness, what an amazing business concept this is, working from home, baking cookies for a living, then go and check it out, primalalternative.com forward slash license. We'll tell you everything about um, how it all works. And if you want to get onto Tash, I totally recommend joining her Facebook group, Heart Centered Soul Driven Entrepreneurs, or you can just search groups, H-C-S-D-E. And you can also find her um, on Facebook as Tash Corbin Coaching and TashCorbin.com. And the link to her free training is TashCorbin.com forward slash fast track. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. On to the show. I hope you love it. It was an epic episode for me. Tash, it's a real honor to have you on the show today because you are a person that I followed right from day dot when I was having my crazy ideas about starting a business and I followed you all the way through and literally watch all of your webinars and do all of your free five-day courses. So you've really helped me um, on my entrepreneurial journey and I'm so stoked and a little bit nervous um, about having you on the show today. So welcome. Thank you so much. I'm totally human. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Phew. So being completely human, tell us what you had for breakfast. So um, I am an endomorph somatotype, so it's actually in my best interest not to eat a big breakfast. So this morning I had my apple cider vinegar and lemon warm water, and uh, then I had a dandelion tea. Mm, Very healthy. And have you eaten any food (laughs) yet? (laughs) I have, yes. I had a homemade sort of like a bolognese alternative that I make that's got 17 different vegetables in it. And I do it in the slow cooker on a weekend. And so that sets me up for the week. So yeah, I've, e- I've eaten very well today, which uh, is quite quite good that you're interviewing me today because it's not <laughs> always that great. <laughs> <laughs> Love your honesty. Well, I think we all have days like that when we you know that's the reality, isn't it? It's not perfect every day. Yeah, And that's all right because we're yep. only human. Now, before we get into wellness entrepreneurs and the common things that are holding us back and fears and how we can really get our businesses off the ground and make money from doing it and and feel um, worthy of that. Tell us a little bit about your background because you know, I love the name of your Facebook group, Heart-Centered, Soul-Driven Entrepreneurs. I mean, it does what it says on the tin. But what's led you to creating this almost kind of underground movement of women 
who are in the business world. Yeah, it's been such an epic journey. And I started my business back in 2013. And that feels like a lifetime ago and a minute ago, all at once. So I started my business in 2013. And originally, I was going to be a career coach, because I came out of a human resources and consulting background. And I was getting really tired of the uh, traditional workplaces and corporate world and all of those sorts of things. And I decided that I was going to start my own business to kind of free myself of being in these corporate constructs and making other people richer and all of these sorts of things that I'd heard about. And after working with three people in corporate uh, career coaching, I just was like smacked in the face by how obvious it was that I did not want to work in that space (laughs) and that I had left the corporate world for a completely um, uh, uh, aligned reason. And then I was going to jump back in as a coach. It was just such a weird thing in ref- on, upon reflection. So uh, from there, I decided that what I wanted to do was actually help other people jump into having their own businesses as well. And very quickly, I discovered that a lot of the online business and online marketing world was very masculine and Uh, patriarchal in its uh, belief systems, in its structures, and in the way that we were taught to do things like sales and marketing and business and all of those sorts of things. And I had so many coaches and gurus tell me to do things that felt like they were out of alignment with my values and out of alignment with the way that I wanted to show up in my business. And so I decided that I was going to become a role model for other women who wanted to create business success without having to, inverted commas, act like a man, have to you know, play the game, have to do the hustle, you know, all of those grind your way through and all of those sorts of things. And I wanted to create a business where I could empower people in the sales process. And very quickly, when I started talking about this, like what I was finding wrong with some of the using NLP to um, get people to buy from you and all of those sorts of strategies. When I started talking about how uncomfortable they made me feel and that I didn't want to do these things and I wanted to do them another way and I was trying other ways to do them, it just got a life of its own. And I started this Facebook community, Heart Centered Soul Driven Entrepreneurs, in 2014. And by 2015, it had 10,000 members. It grew so quickly. And I really do think that that is because there were so many people out there who had been experiencing these kinds of feelings like, why do I have to dial up someone's pain points and make them feel worse before I swoop in as the savior and make them feel better by selling them something? And it it really put words to what people were thinking and feeling, but they couldn't maybe express it clearly enough. And since then, I have gone on to create an entire business and an entire movement of other women who are creating successful businesses without needing to resort to trickery and um, psychological programming in their sales processes and making people feel terrible in order to swoop in and make the sale that's going to make their lives feel better and instead just really empower people through their sales and marketing processes. So yeah, that's it in a nutshell. And it is such an honor to be part of a community that is really changing the language and changing the belief systems about what it takes to be successful in business. Incredible. And I think that the, the main word that 
uh, is in the forefront of my mind when you talk like that, Tash, is, oh, what a relief. What a relief that it's not just (laughs) me that couldn't make it work in the corporate world. What a relief that, you know, we don't have to do all of that yucky sales stuff that it just, oh, it feels awful. So I'd love to dive a little bit more into corporate world, the pit, which is a patriarchal construct. So why does it not work so well for women? Why do we find it so out of alignment? Well, I think the core thing we need to understand is that it was built in a time when men went to work and women stayed at home. And so corporate structures, uh, corporate processes were built by men and they were built to favor men. And when you take a step back and just look at the way that it's built, it's, it's not that it's anyone's fault, right? It's not about making, making this big blame and, you know, this is just not good enough and blah, blah, blah. like, I'm not interested in even fighting the fight in that space. I am much more interested in creating the new model. We now have a world where actually the workforce is very well represented by women. However, those women fail to thrive in those structures that were built by men for men. And I've got a really great tangible example of this, and that is recruitment processes. And I used to work in recruitment and uh, I had a personal experience where when I started in my graduate government role, they had um, a salary range that they were offering for this role. And there were four of us who went into this program two girls, two boys, two men, two women. We were, we were fresh out of uni, so I still think of us as girls and boys. <laughs> and in my interview, I asked the question, I said, you know, there is this salary range. How negotiable is that salary range? Can I apply to do the higher salary range, you know, the higher end of the salary range if I'm successful in this role? And they said, no, when we take in graduates, we just put you at the bottom of the salary range and then you work your way up. I was like, okay, no worries, fair enough. And about six months into that program, we had a little dinner with all of the other graduates and there were four in my program. And then there were 50 from other departments. And we were having a conversation about where they were on the salary scales. And in my program specifically, the two female uh, applicants were on the bottom and the two male applicants were on the top. And across the 50 other people who were there, nine out of the... um, out of the male applicants were at the top and the rest were at second top and all of the women came in on the bottom. Now you might think, well, it's open to everyone. Everyone is allowed to negotiate. That was the same rules were applied to everyone. But here's the thing is that when we had a conversation about, well, how come you got top? I was told that they couldn't. The men all said that they had the same response and they said, I'd like to negotiate to be in the top bracket and they had the same response oh no we don't really do that with graduates and they said well then I don't want the job if I can't have the top bracket whereas the women said Mm -hmm. when they were told that answer they said oh okay Okay. I will just accept what you've given me right Mm -hmm. and this comes from I mean this is generations and generations of things that we could be talking about right now but it is natural tendencies and behaviors that have been programmed into women about you just get what you're given versus no, you know, be willing to walk away for men. And so that entire recruitment process, if we take a step back and look at what it results in, men consistently being paid higher than women for the same job with the same responsibilities, with the same level of experience, like a graduate position is pretty much the ultimate 
of levelers. And even in that, there's disparity between what men and women are paid. And it's not because the men are more qualified or because the men are better at the role. It's simply because the recruitment process and the way that the salary is negotiated favors masculine tendencies. And so that's why corporate structures for a lot of women feel like they just don't work because there's so many policies and processes and hoops to jump through and behaviors that are rewarded and punished that are based on old belief systems about what success looks like, what being good at something looks like. So being self-confident and self-important and being able to talk up your traits and how good you are and your skills and your experience is rewarded and being humble is not rewarded. And yet when you look at the way that we expect boys and girls to behave when they're growing up, or we did expect boys and girls to behave when they were growing up, girls were expected to be humble. Boys were expected to talk up their achievements. So from a very young age, we are creating this kind of uh, ball and chain again around young women's legs to have them into the workforce with learned behaviors and traits and belief systems about how they should show up that are going to inherently disadvantage them in the workforce. And another great example of this was a um, study done by a large recruitment organization in Australia. It was back in 2012, and they asked all of their job seekers, what percentage of a job description do you need to feel you're comfortable in completing in order to apply for the job? Just put your hat in the ring. And for the women respondents of that survey, they needed to feel confident in more than 90% of the role description. On average, they needed to feel confident in more than 90% of the role description before they would even apply. For the male respondents, they needed to feel confident in 40% of the job description before they would apply. So again, that behavior is inherently rewarded. We find women less often put their hat in the ring because they don't, they inherently underestimate and undervalue what they can bring to the table. They don't want to jump into a job and accept a position if they aren't 100% sure they're going to actually be able to nail it. And there's all of these behaviors that in a corporate construct, in a patriarchal construct, they are disadvantaged. And so for me, I could spend years and years of my life continuing to work in human resource management and trying to change those structures for the inside. Or for me, I could see that there was this amazing opportunity called entrepreneurship where I'm just going to recruit as many women as I can out of those structures and let's create our own businesses and our own rules and reward ourselves how we see fit. And we then don't have to worry about like changing the structure to fit the person or changing the person to fit the structure, we're just creating a whole new way of working. And I freaking love it. (laughs) Me too. I'm like, right on, sister, right on with you. And my background is in recruitment (laughs) as well. So, you know, I've worked from that Mm. paradigm and also spoken to some, because I always... um, recruited women. My, my role was in accounting support roles, which is inevitably usually filled by a woman. And I saw time after time after time how hard it was for women to find a job that fitted in around their lifestyle or their family um, and how they it just really, it, there was just, there was a lot of burnout because it was a bad fit. It was out of alignment, not just with 
um, how they were as women, but just in terms of the, the time expected to be spent in the office and even like the clothes we had to wear. I mean, suits are just a joke. When you think about, it's just like, I used to, I remember when I tried on my first suit, I felt like I was dressing up like my dad, you know, like you, you're trying to look like a man and, and I'm, I'm the same as you. You're like not trying to say it's anyone's fault. I'm just freaking excited to be part of the new era, a new generation of women who, you know, and I even think the whole coronavirus thing has shown us we don't need to drive into cities to work in freaking, you know, skyscrapers with no open windows and heaps of EMFs and noise and pollution. Like it's just insane. We can work from home. Here we are on opposite sides of the country, different countries talking to each other. And it's, it's incredible. It's just a ridiculous old paradigm. And I'm excited to be part of, of yeah. the new the new times as well. It's so cool. So I know that in your Facebook yeah. group, you have a lot of different women, you know, basically following their passion and that can be a, across all industries. But today we're going to keep it focused on health and wellness. And I'd love to hear from you, Tash, what you think the specific challenges of marketing as a health and wellness um, practitioner or coach what are those, those um, specific challenges that you see? Yeah, okay. So the first one I would say is the money side and challenges around charging for a service that's in a wellness space. The second one would be being able to speak to tangible outcomes. And then the third one I would see as niching and really focusing down on who it is that you're here to serve because for most people who work in health and wellness, everybody needs you and you could help everybody. And so they're probably the three core challenges that I would see. Um, so the first one being money, I know for a lot of my beautiful clients who work in the health and wellbeing space, they get into the health and wellbeing space because of their own health journey or a particular passion that they have for health and well-being, or they discover a modality or a way of really tuning into the body or supporting the body that they just wish everyone would know about. And so there comes this kind of dichotomy sometimes where we want to spread the word as far, as far and wide as we can, but we also need to make money out of this. And it feels almost wrong or icky to charge money for those services. Um, I have clients who work with people who are dealing with cancer or who are going through significant health issues. And ultimately, when you come into this kind of field from that space, there is, and you are a heart-centered person and you just want to help and serve, there comes this kind of feeling of how do I do this and charge money for it and overcome all of those blocks about needing to help everyone, not wanting to help them for free, but I just want to help as many people as possible. There's so much guilt that comes with charging money for something that is so critical to people's well-being. And you know, we know of so many stories of people who take advantage of the sick, who profiteer from the sick. And we don't want to be seen as one of those people. We don't want to feel like one of those people. And so I see for the health industry that there are a lot of money blocks around charging for your services and charging for your work. So I see a lot of people in the health and wellbeing industries sort of racing to the bottom with pricing. So they might not 
really reduce their one-to-one prices for their services because they know that they shouldn't do that. But they're very quick to think, oh, maybe if I write a book or and it's low cost, then everyone can access it. Or maybe I'll create a course and I'll just charge $25 for it, or I'll just charge $97 for it. And that way it's accessible. And being accessible and affordable is so important to health practitioners that they can often put themselves into a poverty cycle where they never really create the income that they need to reach the numbers of people that they want to reach in the first place. Amazing. So what can we do about that, Tash? Like the money thing, I'm there. I've, I've had the 20, well, it's $29 course when I first started my health coaching. And the reality is when you're first starting out, you don't have a big enough audience. You know, if you had a million people buy a course at $25, $29, then bingo. But when you're first starting out, you've got like 97 people following you on Facebook. So how can we get out of that? And And then we also feel like, well, we're new, we're not an expert we, we don't deserve it. Who are we to do that? There's so many other people out there offering this and, and at a lower cost. How can we kind of work around the cost angle? Yeah. So the first one is to recognize that um, racing to the bottom with pricing to be affordable doesn't actually improve your conversion rates. So if you, as you said, you've got 97 people following you on your Facebook page, (laughs) it would be a much more appropriate startup strategy to focus on loving and nurturing those 97 people and getting them into working with you as a VIP client than trying to reach a million people to sell you $25 course. So it takes the same amount of work, sometimes less work, to sell a spot in a, in a VIP one-to-one program than it does to sell someone into a self-study cheap course. It, from the marketing and um, a sales perspective, it can often be easier to have a one-to-one conversation with someone and get them to be a VIP one-to-one client with you than it can be to run a webinar and run a launch and put a sales funnel together and get people jumping into a $25 program with you. And so I think it's important that as health practitioners and as all practitioners, we remember that our journey, it's just the start of your journey. It's just for now. It's not forever. And the fastest way for you to access the money, team uh, members, resources and advertising dollars that you need in order to reach those millions of people is to make good money as quickly and effectively as possible. And for most people, that means focusing on high conversion, high connection strategies to sell high ticket VIP work, working with people one-to-one rather than jumping down to sell that $25 program. Because think about it. If you, if you say a, a baseline income of sustainability just so that you can keep your head above water is $5,000 a month, you could sell two VIP packages a month at $2,500 or you could try to sell 200 spots in your $25 program. And to get 200 spots in your $25 program, you're going to need at least 20,000 leads, which is at least $80,000 in ad spend. So, And you have to spend that every month to make $5,000. It just doesn't add up. And yet so many people are lured into this belief that you've got to start with something that's group-based or self-study, low-ticket, 
get as many people in as possible. And that's where scalability and leverage comes from. And for many people, that pathway does not equate to them ever reaching the level of financial income that they need to be able to even sustain the business. So I think first and foremost, it's about getting the business model clear and knowing what your business model is appropriate to your audience size. If you have a small audience, you are much better off working with people in a one-to-one capacity than being able to charge appropriately for that one-to-one support and outcome that you're helping people to achieve and focusing on that in the short term until you get to the point where you've created that financial sustainability, that experience, that number of clients that makes you feel like you can put your prices up, put your prices up again, put your prices up again. And that is what creates that really amazing financial stability from which you can then leverage and start paying for the reach that you need to get those larger audiences. And I did that myself, even with my own journey. When I first started out, I was charging $47 for two hours and then I was charging $97 for two hours and then I was charging $147 for two hours and then I was charging $247 two hours. And, but my VIP package to work with me was $1,000 for a month or 2,500 for six months. And I made it my mission to get as many VIP customers as possible. In my sixth month of business, I had a 20K month. And then all of a sudden I had the time, the money, the resources, the team members and the leverage. And in order for me to be able to create a group program and create it and launch it effectively so that it wasn't just, oh, here's another $400 and I've got to go and support these 20 people through this program for that amount of time for six weeks or whatever it is. Mm. Oh my goodness. It's so, it's so obvious when you say it like that, but we all, well, I think the majority of us go around it the opposite way, don't we? We think, oh, well, we'll start with a cheap course, but really it makes so much sense the way you've said it. And then when you've got that credibility, then's the time to write your book or to do, you know, a lower cost course because you've got that bigger audience and you've got more, more people to buy it. So hmm, just, it's, it's easy when you know how. Absolutely. Your number one job, Yeah, absolutely. Your number one job when you're starting a business is get to the point of financial sustainability as quickly as possible. That's number one. And for so many people, they really don't um, see how important it is to get that that income stability. And also it's not our fault because 99% of marketing gurus out there are telling you that if you're still trading dollars for hours, then your business is not scalable and you're never going to be successful, right? They're using those fear-based strategies to sell you courses and products and services to help you create that group program or launch that membership or whatever it is. So it's in their best interest to convince you that going straight into leveraged products and services is the best pathway because that opens you up to buying the product from them. And so, you know, most of the marketing uh, uh, advice out there is based on the jump in and sell group programs first model. So it's not surprising that so many of us get sucked into that belief system and thinking that that's the way that you need to do it. And you'll be able to grow your audience over time and all of those sorts of things. Yeah. Mm. And I think another thing on, on the money side, um, before we move on to tangible outcomes, um, a thing on the money side is that I see a lot of um, people when they first start out giving a lot of stuff away, whether it's dollar value, you know, I'll give you a discount mm. if you, if you do this or in, you know, in my industry, food production, you know, they'll give away, a free item of food, which inevitably impacts on your bottom line. But I think if you've got that, 
key goal to make yourself as financially viable as possible from the start because that's going to ensure you're going to be around for a lot longer and not just a fly by night. It didn't work out. I gave it a crack. Um, entrepreneur, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, there are times to strategically use things like freebies or discounts or those sorts of things. But if the driver of that freebie or discount is fear, then that's not the time. That's usually my litmus test is, am I doing this because I'm afraid people won't buy it if I don't do it? Or am I doing this because it is a strategic decision that's going to maximize my results? And it's pretty easy for me to tune into which is which these days, but it is a practice. So let's move on to point number two. So of the specific challenges for people in the wellness and health space, two, tangible outcomes. Yeah. So I, I understand this one, particularly for people in health and wellbeing, you don't want to promise big results if you're not actually going to deliver. And what ends up happening is that for a lot of people in the health and wellbeing industry, their messaging starts to become very vague and very aspirational without being specific because of a resistance and reluctance to talk about those tangible outcomes. And the other one for me is a lot of people want, don't want to talk about the thing that their audience member wants. So I have a lot of people who work in health and wellbeing and they don't want to be seen as a weight loss person. Mm. So they never talk about weight ever, ever, ever. If, if you catch them saying the W word, they will smack themselves on the hand and tell themselves they'll never do it again because they don't want to, they're so afraid of being seen as a weight loss person that they avoid it and they actually talk around the edges and all their ideal client is saying is, but I just want to drop 10 kilos because this feels really unhealthy and unhappy for me. And they've got all these people begging them for this tangible thing. And they're like, but I'm going to make you feel more energized and I'm going to make you feel more healthy. And I'm going to help you make sure you're nourished. I'm going to help you. Da, da, da. And they're talking about all of these things that yes, they're peripheral benefits, but ultimately people are very clear about what is a priority for them. And if you don't speak to that priority directly, then you're going to struggle to create deeply resonant messaging. Now, you might talk about weight loss through a different lens of what if we saw weight loss as just one part of that journey and we can also do this and do that. But if you completely skirt around the issue and avoid talking about it altogether, then those people who could potentially be your perfect clients for whom their number one priority is get the kilos dropping off because that's the thing that's really bugging me about my body first and foremost, then you're really going to struggle to resonate with them. So um, that's like the talking around the periphery part of the outcomes. And then the second one is not wanting to promise something I don't know everyone is actually going to achieve. So a lot of people, maybe if they do work in the weight space or they work in the, you know, I've got clients who work in cancer. You can't tell people you'll never get cancer again. Or I'm going to cure your cancer, right? Mm-hmm. So because of that um, model and that inability to be able to promise that outcome, people really struggle in the health and wellbeing space to talk about something that is actually tangible. And so my advice for people who are really struggling this with this is to think about your package or your program or what people are doing with you. What is a tangible outcome that you can deliver? So I have a great example of this. A lady that I work with, she specializes in helping women with Hashimoto's and she works to help them to feel more energized and to drop weight because for a lot of people who have Hashimoto's, weight is one of the challenges that it presents for them. 
And she has a, like a one month intensive that she does with people who are newly diagnosed with Hashimoto's on how to understand it, how to build the eating around it, how to build their lifestyle around it, and also how to set themselves up with simple daily habits so that they can start um, you know, coming to grips with this, but also reducing their symptoms and all of those sorts of things. So we had a really great conversation about her saying, well, I can't say that you'll lose weight in a month but I want to give some tangible outcomes. And so what we came up with for her was to say, well, in a month, you're going to know, I have a deeper understanding of what Hashimoto's is and how it's impacting on your body. You're going to try some strategies and some techniques to really give your body what it needs and uh, get the best from your body. We're also going to set you up with some daily habits that will set you on the path to releasing the weight that you're currently holding because of Hashimoto's. So it's not necessarily saying you'll lose 10 kilos in four weeks because you don't want to be part of that movement, (laughs) but it is giving people something tangible that they can actually see in their mind, in their mind's eye when they think about working with you. So for every business, every single business, there is a tangible outcome or a bunch of tangible outcomes that you can express as part of the benefit of working with you. It just takes a little finessing and looking at it from multiple angles. And I've never, ever in my entire business journey met someone for whom we couldn't come up with tangible outcomes to express what it is that they have to offer. Mm. Sometimes there's some mindset wobbles to overcome because they don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. So we need to get really clear on why is it that you think this is overpromising? Is it really overpromising or is it just fear? And also sometimes there are things we need to deal with from a legal perspective. You know, there are some special limitations and requirements when it comes to speaking about health and well-being outcomes. But ultimately, you can always come up with some practical, tangible outcomes that you can express that mean something to your ideal client that makes them say, yes, that is the outcome that I'm looking for shut up, take my money, let's do this together. <laughs> and it is, again, as with anything in business, it is a practice, but it is a worthwhile thing to practice doing because ultimately getting good at expressing the value proposition of what it is that you do is your, your key job as the business owner. Um, copywriters can come in and help you find fancy words and all of those sorts of things. But ultimately, if you cannot deeply and resonantly express that core value proposition with confidence, you're going to struggle to find a copywriter who can then craft copy that works because they, you're not even able to explain it to the copywriter so that they can translate it into words. So I think that it's you know, something that people really struggle. And for a lot of people, they just avoid it. They just try and try and get around without actually ever having to deal with it. But Trust me, it is much, much easier if you stop, pay attention to it and do the work to really get good at expressing the value proposition and those tangible outcomes because it makes you so much more magnetic and it makes it so much easier for people to say, OMG, yes, that is the thing that I need. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely perfect. It's so true. I'm laughing along because I can, you know, relate to trying to outsource my sales page to a copywriter. Oh, you do it. Like it's too hard. But the reality is you do need to to work around with it and practice it and just get used to talking about it and find different ways to express it. Because the more yeah. that you practice it, it's like a muscle, the better you get 
at it. So that's, it's just funny because I was like, oh, that was me. That was me too. Um, so let's, <laughs> let's get on to niching because I know this is really difficult to do because you've got an amazing thing that's helped you so much and you just want to help everyone do it. But tell us why it's so important to really niche down and identify who our ideal customer is. Yeah. So the biggest, first and foremost, a niche is not a modality or a health condition or um, a thing that you do. So your niche is who you focus on, the people you focus on when you are marketing. And with that definition, I think people get a lot of clarity in the first instance about, oh, okay, because they saw, they think that calling themselves a job title is the niche, but that's not actually the niche. So your niche is actually the specific group of people that you focus on when you are marketing your products and services. So just because you can help everyone uh, doesn't mean that your niche should be everyone. And that's because even it, it doesn't impact your delivery, right? The delivery of your products and services can be to everyone. If someone comes along and they're not in your niche and they say, can you help me too? You can absolutely say to them, yes, absolutely. I can help you. That's totally fine. But there's a difference between opening the doors to your shop and just saying, anyone come in, it's totally fine. And proactively going out there and finding your ideal clients. And when you want to take a more proactive role in marketing your business and getting out there and speaking to and resonating with your ideal clients, you need to be hyper specific in order to stop the scroll. And I think the best way that I can help people understand why niche is so important and how powerful it is, is by giving a really tangible example. And that is, let's say you are a health and wellbeing practitioner and you specialize in healing pain. And um, you have the option of being niched or unniched in your marketing. So your unniched marketing might be you create a post to go on social media that says, are you experiencing pain? Well, my fabulous modality can help you with any kind of pain, no matter what happened or where it's gone or what it came from. I'm going to help you with that pain. Here's the link to find out more. And then your niched version might be that you decide I'm going to, with my beautiful modality and the work that I do, I'm going to niche my marketing to focus on women who are uh, nat natural therapies and natural remedy lovers who are elite athletes and they want to train more, but pain is stopping them. And the big resistance I get and the big question I get from people is like, oh my gosh, that is totally narrow. Oh, that is so narrow. What about all the other people who are in pain? I need to heal all the other people who are in pain. And the big thing I say to that is imagine that you are an elite athlete who wants to train more, but you've got crazy knee pain going on at the moment and you see two ads. One says, I fix all and any and all pain. I can help you with any pain. And one says, I know you want to train harder, but the pain is stopping you through these natural remedy solutions. I can help you clear that pain so you can get out there and train harder and be at your best. That one. Who does the elite <laughs> athlete work with? Yeah. And also <laughs> if the elite athlete, if the elite athlete sees those two ads, who would they pay more for? And this yeah, is where you get into the space of being able to charge as a specialist and charge appropriately for your work. So, and then also if you think about it, like you can build a whole business plan for this imaginary person that I just made up. But I think about, like think about the ads. It's so easy to write the ads. It's so easy to craft the messaging. 
it's so easy to know where to go and market to these people. Elite athletes are at the triathlons. They are in the sports teams. They are, you know, they're at the, the events, you know, so you know, it creates its own, it, the business writes itself, the business plan writes itself if you were to be that niche. And that is the wish and the hope and the dream that I have for every single health and wellbeing practitioner out in the world is that they find the ease and the financial abundance and the um, resonance that comes with that really hyper-specific niching. Because what that hyper-specific niching does is it increases referral rates because people know exactly who to send your way. So if I'm at a barbecue and I know a generalist pain specialist and a specialist pain person who works with athletes and I have a friend and she's like, oh my gosh, my my training for my triathlon has totally gone off the rails because I've got a sore back. I'm going to refer people through to the person who works with elite athletes. And in fact, if I know someone who's a bit generalist, I probably wouldn't refer an elite athlete to them because I would assume that an elite athlete has special requirements and needs that I don't know Uh, about. Yeah, yeah. And so there's so much power in that example but it doesn't have to be elite athletes. It could be anything, but you need to be really mindful about the who. Who is it that you are here to serve and who is it that you are going out to actively recruit with your marketing? And that niching part of the process is the baseline. Like that's the first step. Once you're clear on who the niche is, it's so much easier to talk about outcomes for that elite athlete. And it's so much easier to overcome the money blocks and charge the premium prices. So when you think about those three challenges that I talked about that are specific to health and wellbeing practitioners, if you start with the niche part, the other stuff works itself out much easier because you've got that real specificity and that gives you so much tangible reality-based examples and information and copy that instantly stops the scroll in an age of information overwhelm. And it instantly says, this person knows how to help me. This person knows what I need. This person is going to be better than all those other people I've tried to work with before because this person understands me deeply and completely beyond the level that anyone else has before because this person is a specialist in the exact issues that I am facing because they're speaking directly to me. Amazing. Now, in your Facebook group, I think when I joined it, it was around the 18,000 mark and now it's 33,000 and recommend everybody jumps in and joins it because it's such a great group. There's so many amazing things um, to learn in there, but also it's a good space to practice your message and, and, and you know, it, with, a, with an audience of nice people that aren't going to um, be horrible to you. But I know that, when we, I know that it's, it's one thing getting started in a business uh, and actually getting it off the ground. And then, you know, we can look at tangible outcomes and, and dollars and niching. But I know there's a lot of people out there who have got issues around actually starting their business. So Tash, can you tell us just with the experience that you've seen of so many women across so many different um, industries, what would you say the biggest things are that stop people from moving ahead with their business? Yeah, I would say um, it's all all things that they don't actually need. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's all it's all in your head and it's all a lot of it comes from again those patriarchal structures right so you tell your uncle steve who's got an accounting practice for 45 years you're thinking about starting a business and he says okay well you've got to have a business plan and a website and a this and a that and there's all of these structures and and bells and whistles that you must have in order to be able to have a business and ultimately i'll use australia as an example in australia in order to have a business you really have to have an ABN, an Australian business number. You have to have a way that people can pay you money and a way to deliver the thing that they paid you for. Ultimately, they're the only three things that you need in order to start a business. And in fact, if you create the business plan, it's going to be completely based on theory when you're first starting out because you don't know how it's going to go. You don't know what's going to work. You don't know who's going to be your first clients. If I had written a business plan for my business before I had started it that had any more detail than this is what I think I'm going to do, let's go do it, (laughs) then it would have been completely wasted time because we need to, in our early stage of business, be hyper-flexible and hyper-responsive to what works, what doesn't, who we want to work with, who we don't work with. When I talked about my business, I thought I was going to be a career coach. And I went out and worked with three people before I had a website. I'm so glad that I did because think about the sunk costs of if I had start waited until I had a website and branding and a logo and a business plan and all of these bells and whistles to starting a career coaching business. And then I work with three people and I have this niggling feeling in my head. I don't know if I really want to do this, but I've come all this way. I've invested all of this money and all of this time and I have all of this collateral about this career coaching business and now I'm just going to be all flighty and go and change my mind. Oh, I would not have changed. I would not have changed that business for so long. I would have stuck with career coaching for so much longer if I had invested time and money into all of those bells and whistles and that would have been a total mistake on my part. So when I, you know, when I think about people who are hesitant to start their business or I have people who say to me, yeah, I'm going to launch my business. I'm going to start in six months. I was like, why don't you just start today? So in order to start today, as I said, you just need an ABN. You need a way for people to pay you money. PayPal is a really great way to do that. And you need a way to deliver call, you know, the service. You can do that with a Zoom call. You might want to grab a calendar booking service, but you don't need that in the first instance. I didn't have a calendar booking service in my first couple of months of business. Because to be honest, I only had a few clients and I was very flexible in my time. So I was able to do all of those sorts of things manually. But like what you need to have a business is clients. And so I would let go of all of those things, like write a list now of all of the things that you think you need before you're allowed to start your business. And then I want you to go and cross them all out and give it, write yourself a little permission slip and say, I give myself permission to start imperfectly with what I have right now and let's just see how it unfolds. Now, for health and wellbeing practitioners, you might also want to think about things like insurance and making sure you've got your legal boxes ticked off, of course, Um, but it doesn't need to be thousands and thousands of dollars and a total minefield and like completely, you know, protected to the hilt with legal clauses and coaching contracts and all of those sorts of things. It can be as simple as a little template that you buy for $65 to $100 online that just makes you feel safe and that you've got your bases covered and allows you to get the insurance that you need in order to you know, do the work that you want to do. But ultimately, you can go into a Facebook group like my group. Please come into my group and do this. On a Tuesday, we have hashtag market day. You don't have to have a website or a Facebook page or anything. You can go into that group and you can use hashtag market day 
tell us about your services, tell us how much it is and tell us how to buy it and you can make sales. And wouldn't it be so amazing for you to be able to create that proof of concept for your business and prove that people are willing to pay for what it is that you have to offer before you go down the rabbit hole of creating all of those bells and whistles and all of those pieces of collateral for that business. You can absolutely do that. You can have paying clients in the next couple of weeks. I 100% believe that. And all you need is an audience. I'll give you mine, 33,000 women, ready, willing, and able to come and invest in working with you. We are a health conscious group. We are open to buying from each other. I always say like if I could pay my rent, to the women in the heart center community, I would like, I wish I could pay my electricity to them. I wish I could put more and more money into that community. We are a community of women who love buying from each other. We love health and wellbeing practitioners. And wouldn't it be amazing if you could prove to yourself that that long list of things that you thought that you needed in order to be successful was actually all just made up and you could start making money today. How cool would that be? Oh, that'd be so cool. And I'm so glad Tash, that you've, you've given people the permission to do it. Cause I really think that's a big one as well. It's like, you know, like who am I like, you know, telling your uncle Steve at the, the accountant at the barbecue that, you know, this is what you're going to do. And you just imagine everyone's going to go, yeah, right. Who are you to go and do yeah. that? But really it's, who are you not to do this? If you've got an amazing yeah. way that's going to, you know, help people out and you need to bloody get yourself out of the way and get on with it. And I love that you've given us that, that list and that, and that permission to actually get out and do it. Amazing. Thank you so much. Now, I know yeah, that um, I seriously could listen to you all day long because um, you've got so many golden nuggets in there, but I, I am conscious of time. So could you give us your, um, your best tips for us to get our health businesses off the ground quickly? Yeah. Okay. So one, I would stop following or taking business advice from people who aren't doing it the way that you want to do it. So Uncle Steve doesn't need to know that you're starting a business right now. Uncle Steve does not need to advise you on your business right now. Your partner does not need to advise you. You know, your best friend doesn't need to advise you. Get business advice from people who are doing business the way that you want to, who market the way that you want to, and who understand the um, requirements of your industry. There are business coaches and mentors out there who specialize in working with health and wellbeing practitioners. They're really good at what they do. So listen to those people. Get the advice from those people would be piece of advice number one. Piece of advice number two would be let go of that long list of things that you think you need in order to be able to start a business or be prepared or have the qualifications or the experience or whatever it is. Start where you are and you can always grow. There's always room to learn. The whole, I, the whole premise of entrepreneurship is not trying to do everything perfect and never make a mistake. The, the whole concept of entrepreneurship is to make the mistakes as quickly and effectively as possible, learn from them and move forward. So give yourself permission to approach this as a practice and give yourself permission to just get out there and start telling people about what it is that you want to do and who you're here to serve and, um, and just allow people to give you feedback and have conversations with real people. And then finally, I would say, do things in that order. So get the niche right first. That will help you craft a really effective message that's resonant for that niche. 
then you can craft offers that are going to really meet the needs of those specific people. And then that makes the marketing part so much easier because you don't need to have reach of 4,000 people to make one sale. You just need to find one or two people for whom this is the right fit and have a conversation with them. And all of a sudden you've got paying clients and that's such a much easier pathway to business and particularly when you're first starting out. One of your um, trainings that I just adore is your fast track training. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because it's, it's a free training that you offer, isn't it? So if anyone's listening to this and thinking, OMG, I need more Tash in, your, in my life, you do. But tell us, <laughs> tell, us how, tell us about fast track and how we can get it. Yeah, so um, Fast Track Your Startup is a free training that I've got available on my website. Um, it's at tashcorbin.com forward slash fast track, all one word. And in that training, it goes for just over an hour. But in that training, what I do is I break apart some of those myths about what you need and I give a lot more detail into the how of how to get clear on that niche. Okay. Now, how do I get clear on that message? Okay. Now, where do I go and share this in order to actually start making those sales? So the fast track your startup training is really designed for those people who aren't yet making, let's say 5k to 8k a month yet consistently. And they want to be more considered and strategic in the way that they show up online and use social media to get those early clients in the door and really create that financial sustainability as quickly as possible. Sounds awesome. Now, thank you, Tash, so much. I know that we've um, got some cookies coming out to you. Uh, You haven't tried them yet, though, have you? I haven't. No, I'm so excited. (laughs) I I hope you're going to love them. So enjoy the cookies when you get them. Um, TashCorbin.com. I'm going to share all of your links uh, for your Facebook group and the Heart Centered Soul Driven Entrepreneur Group, plus the Fast Track Your Startup link as well in the show notes. Tash, thank you so much for your time today. It's been, like I say, an honor and a bit of a bucket list thing, really, I guess, to have you on the show. So thank you so much. No worries at all, Helen. Thank you for having me. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.